0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. We'll get to that in just a minute. I know you're going to love today's podcast. But first, for all the news that you're hearing about censorship It's all explained, including who's behind it, and I follow the money in my new bestseller, Slanted, how the news media taught us to love censorship and hate journalism. As I've been saying, there is hope, information is power. Get some today by reading Slanted. Today in my podcast, Beyond the COVID-19 Vaccine, what about therapies and treatments for coronavirus? And what about natural immunity? A look with a top government virologist. Last week, I asked Dr. John Dye, Chief of Viral Immunology at the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. They call it U.S. AMRID for short. I asked Dr. John Dye a lot of questions about coronavirus and quite a few about the coronavirus vaccines. If you missed that episode, you can look for that. That was just last week. But I had other questions for him, and that's what we're going to talk about this week. Aside from the vaccine, I wanted to know what therapies and treatments that are being studied or used are turning out to be promising because we hear so many different conflicting reports and it's hard to know when you hear a story in the media if there's somebody pushing something in particular or squelching information about something else. So when I asked this question, the first thing that came to Dr. John Dye's mind was steroid treatments and he said there are steroid treatments going on in hospitals right now that seem to be having great effects. And I asked, why steroids? I hadn't even heard about that. And he explained that with steroids, he said, basically, you are, in his words, amping up your immune system to be able to control the virus better. It's basically a strategy that primes your own system so that you can fight things off yourself. He also mentioned that there have been a lot of studies with convalescent plasma therapy, Now, we reported about this on Full Measure. If you go to fullmeasure.news, and if you click into any first article, that's when the search bar will appear at the top of the website. You have to click into something first. But if you do that and you Google plasma or convalescent plasma, our story will come up. It was quite interesting. It was on some of the earliest convalescent plasma treatments down in Florida and how they turned out. That was many months ago. But now Dr. John Dye says... Continued studies have continued to show promise for this. That's where you take blood product or plasma from a person who has survived coronavirus. And that means, he says, Dr. Dai, that they're left with a nice high neutralizing antibody titer in their blood. And that's what can be provided as a treatment to somebody else who's sick. He says that seems to be working very well. Another thing that he talked about, multiple monoclonal antibodies, and cocktails of antibodies. He says that studies and products involving those are moving forward from Abcelera and Eli Lilly and AstraZeneca. And he said that those products are in phase one, two, and three clinical trials and looking pretty good so far. So when it comes to antibodies, I asked for a little bit of clarity. That's not a vaccine. The vaccine apparently helps you make antibodies, but this is something that actually injects antibodies into your system. So the way Dr. Dye describes it, you'd actually have an IV, you'd have it hooked up and you would get the dose and you'd be provided with the antibodies that had been generated from a vaccinated individual directly into you. So how long does something like that last? He says that most of the monoclonal antibodies that are moving into the treatment phase lasts between maybe 21 and 28 days in your bloodstream. So the idea is that you would be given this when you're sick and you would be protected by that action for 21 to 28 days. And during that time, your own immune system would start to kick in while you have this antibody protection from somebody else. And then after that, you'd be able to control the infection yourself. So it's sort of getting you over the hump of the worst time and allowing your own immune system time to respond to control the virus. Now, it's really interesting because you may say, well, why do we need these things? We now have vaccines with more on the way. But Dr. Dai rightly pointed out that there's always going to be a place for treatments because there's going to be at least 5 to 10% of people, even if you have a good vaccine, you know, very effective one, There are always people that vaccines don't work for. I don't know if everybody knows that. They don't work for everybody. Not everybody responds to the vaccine or develops the immunity. So you still have to have something to treat people with or to offer them if they do get sick. And besides that, he also pointed out that a lot of people are choosing not to get vaccinated, at least not right now. So these therapies are important. So moving on, I wanted to know about... The natural ability to fight off virus, because all of us have an immune system. I mean, maybe there are some people that don't have any sort of immune system, but in general, we're all born with an immune system. And if you have a normal one, you have innate immunity, then you can fight off a lot of things by yourself. And some people are fighting off coronavirus, may not even know that they have. So Dr. Dye said, the innate immunity we have involves interferons, in K-cells, a lot of things that he said was scientific jargon that basically adds up to your own ability to fight off an infectious agent. So with a vaccine, that's called adaptive immunity. You're providing something into your system to respond to a particular agent, but the innate immunity that most of us have is more generalized. And Dr. Dye says everybody has it and some people have it to you know, a greater degree than others, So there are people he describes that have high interferon gamma, high interferon alpha beta levels that are already in their system for whatever reason. And those people, he says, are able to keep what they call the viral replication of a virus down, which allows them to control the virus themselves with their own bodies quite easily. So if a lot of people are fighting off coronavirus by themselves and they don't need a vaccine, and they're never going to be sick, wouldn't it be nice to figure out what it is about some people that allows them to do that? And who are the people in advance? Because then you wouldn't have to waste limited vaccine supply on people that are never going to get sick, and you could use it on the people who need it. So are people trying to figure out who has what sorts of things in their body to fight this off? And Dr. Dye said yes. In fact, he brought up a study that looked at the Genetic level at what proteins people who are asymptomatic have, what proteins they're generating over time. Meaning, you're asymptomatic, but you've had coronavirus, you just didn't get sick with it, at least you've been exposed to it. So, what is it about those people who get exposed and develop antibodies, but they don't get very ill? Dr. Dice said that researchers have narrowed it down to five genes in a certain subset of people that did not develop coronavirus. Well, they knew they had coronavirus, but they didn't develop the symptoms, he said. And these were what he called highly regulated genes that had high production. So in short, they're starting to dissect the problem and understand who are the people and what about them causes them not to get sick. The way he described it, he said, if you know that gene X, Y, and Z provide certain protection... Well, then theoretically you can find a way to boost those genes X, Y, and Z in everybody. So then he says, it's not really a vaccination that you have to give people. You are just boosting the innate immune system that they have to be able to control the infection in general. If you want to hear Dr. Dai describe these things for himself, I've done my best to describe it the way he describes it. But there's nothing like seeing and hearing him yourself. And this will be one of our stories on Full Measure, January 24th, this coming Sunday. If you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, we're talking about Sunday, January 24th. And if you miss it on TV, you can always catch replays at fullmeasure.news online for free. Fullmeasure.news online. We post the stories about 11 o'clock Eastern time on Sundays after they air on TV. But there's more to this podcast after a short break. We're going to move From the question of natural immunity to how long does your immunity last after you've had a coronavirus illness or exposure? Back in a moment. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative facts that don't fit are omitted off narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole partisan pundits analysts and anonymous sources fill news space leaving little room for facts i hope you'll pre-order my new book today slanted how the news media taught us to love censorship and hate journalism We are back to talk about things beyond the coronavirus vaccine and one of the questions i had for dr john dye a lead government virologist was what do we know about how long immunity lasts if you've had coronavirus if you've become sick with coronavirus versus the vaccine now the vaccine as i discussed last week scientists only know that the vaccines last for a couple of months because they haven't even been in existence long enough to know how far out they will provide immunity. And Dr. Dye told us last week that people may need boosters after six months or maybe after a year or two, we don't know yet. And a lot of that will depend on, as time goes by, what we learn. And some of it depends on your own individual body. But what do we know about a natural infection that you get and how long that immunity lasts. Because you may remember that after President Trump got coronavirus, he was saying that he was protected maybe for a long, long time. And he kind of came back and said, well, they're telling me they don't know how long. They're telling me now maybe it's just a couple of weeks and nobody knows. Well, the, the fact is much like the vaccine, it just hasn't been around long enough to say with certainty how long immunity lasts. But according to studies I've seen, we know that for the vast majority of people who've been sick with coronavirus, the immunity lasts at least as long as we know coronavirus has been around, COVID-19. So people who had it a year ago or more are generally not getting reinfected. in fact, when they do get reinfected, those cases are so rare they're written up in medical journals. One scientist described it to me as out of millions and millions and millions of people, just a handful. So that's really good. But as far as how far that's gonna go out, is that gonna be five years, 10 years, a lifetime? Well, Dr. Dye says we're still developing the data set. He did acknowledge what I just said, that people have been reinfected a couple of times, but it's just not very well documented because there aren't many cases. And, by the way, some of the cases I looked at that they described, when someone was reinfected, well, in one case, for example, the reinfection was only picked up because the guy was traveling, was required to take a test, but he didn't even know he had a reinfection, and it was a different strain, but he had no symptoms at all. So maybe, even in those very rare instances where they're finding some people do get reinfected, They're not getting very sick or sick at all, which would be good news, but there's still a lot to be answered. Anyway, Dr. Dye confirmed that for most people, the consensus is that for a period of six to nine months, maybe a year, maybe now beyond, most people seem to have continued immunity if they've had an infection. Looking ahead, I asked Dr. John Dye sort of what they're focused on for the future at the Army Research Lab, where he leads virology. And he pointed out that, you know, there are hundreds of coronaviruses. COVID 19 is just the one we're talking about that emerged, we believe, from China in 2019. But Dr. Dai says it's important to try to develop what he calls pan coronavirus treatments and therapeutics. Those would be treatments and therapeutics and vaccines that work on more than just one type of coronavirus that aren't so specific. And that way, scientists wouldn't have to start from scratch when there's a next time because they seem to think with so many coronaviruses and as people keep saying, there's gonna be more pandemics, obviously it will be helpful if we can develop things that don't just target one specific virus. Okay, what else do I have coming up on full measure this week? You know, there have been Bipartisan calls for election reform after the chaos of 2020. Maybe people don't agree on what happened with the election, but it seems like everybody thinks there should be some sort of fixes. Well, the problem is Democrats and Republicans differ a lot on how they would fix things and what they think needs to be fixed. Democrats in general are making proposals like more absentee ballots, making it easier for people to vote, less restrictions, more mail-in ballots, whereas Republicans tend to kind of go in the other direction and say, we need to make sure more people are verified with their identity so that people aren't voting improperly and incorrectly. So I asked Scott Thuma to figure out what sorts of reforms or changes we're most likely to see before our next election, two years maybe for the midterms or four years for the next presidential election. And one of the things he found out, and you guys probably know this already, a lot of you do, that it's by design that states have their own systems. There isn't one national system of election. And a lot of people think in a way that's one of our strengths, even though it sometimes seems a bit chaotic. So there's not likely to be huge, sweeping, overarching changes at the national level, even though Congress does try to propose changes. And There's a current bill, I think it was the first one introduced by the Democrats in the Democrat-controlled Senate, now that that's flipped to a very slight Democrat majority. But they introduced a bill that they've been trying to push. I think the House passed it, the Democrat-controlled House, in the past year. Now the Senate's looking at it. But from what I understand, it's not likely to pass. They need a certain number of votes that they may not get because, you know, the Senate's almost 50-50 Republican. This is a very... Democrat bill with all of the things that they like, but not the things Republicans like. So if we're going to see changes, Scott Thuman says they're going to be within states. So if you live in a state that has a legislature that's controlled or dominated by Republicans, if they make changes, they're going to look a whole lot different than the states where the legislatures are controlled by Democrats. Right now, I read that the state of New York is moving through what People are calling a transformative election reform bill that they do think is going to pass. And this has some of those things that I talked about. It's going to expand mail-in voting, absentee voting. Also, and I think Democrats and Republicans might be able to agree on this, I think it has a provision in there to count the absentee votes faster. I mean, I just don't think many people like to sit around, you know, for days and in some cases... A week or more to figure out, you know, how many people voted and who they voted for by absentee. In fact, there was one race as of Friday, January 22nd in New York, a race from November that still hasn't been decided. This is crazy. People don't like that. I mean, I don't know who, I don't know who that really benefits. So Scott Thuman will have that story on full measure along with my interview with Dr. John Dye. And the last Fun thing that we're going to do on my program, Sunday, January 24th, is a visit out west. You know, a lot of times I like to end the program with something scenic, historic, fun, just a little bit different. And we've been traveling a lot on full measure despite coronavirus. We have had to curb our global travel, but we have been all over the country traveling safely, but to many different places, California, New York, Wyoming, Montana, South Dakota, a lot of different places. And while we were traveling out west, we realized that we were going to be going by a really historic place in Montana, and it was where Custer's last stand was. And I kind of realized, I don't even really know what Custer's last stand, except that there was a general who turns out to be a lieutenant colonel named Custer, who died or had his last stand at this battlefield. So I got a local historian named Putt Thompson to show us around this really scenic and special place where Custer's last stand happened. And we talk about what it was all about. It was a fight between the Americans who were trying to round up the American Indians and make them stay on their reservations and not hunting the land and kind of roaming free. And sometimes the Americans were forcibly removing the American Indians to try to get them to go to the reservations when they were refusing to do so. And so the battle at Little Bighorn, where Custer's last stand happened, as it turned out, the Indians were ready for them. This band of Indians was not going to go peacefully. There was something like 3,000 of them that massacred a much smaller group of uh, Custer's troops, really a bloodbath. But I didn't know that's what it was all about. And got some really interesting details from Putt Thompson, and you'll see this fascinating scenery and hear the story of this time gone by. So I hope you'll watch Full Measure. If you want to find the station in your area, you can go to CherylAtkinson.com and click the Full Measure tab to find out where we play. Or go to FullMeasure.News and click About to find our station list. And don't worry if we don't have a station in your area because you can also look at fullmeasure.news online on Sunday around 11 o'clock Eastern time a.m., and we post the segments. You can just watch those throughout the week or any time. Also, we have an app called Stir S-T-I-R-R. You can watch us on Stir, on demand, or live. And I wanted to mention one last thing. I am taking a special interest in all of this censorship and shaping of information and trying to make people canceled and disappear if they're off the narrative. I think this is a really dangerous trend and a dangerous time. And I'm trying to give voice to some of these censored people and ideas because a lot of times it means that powerful interests don't want them to be heard because they're hurting some sort of bottom line of these powerful interests, maybe financial bottom line or cutting into their power with what they're trying to say. I'm a firm believer in all information except that which is illegal should be accessible and allowed. So I'm featuring some of these people and ideas, whether I agree with them or not, which is not important. You can look for them on the censored tab at CherylAckison.com. And if you want to keep in touch on these issues such as big tech censorship, is Parlor going to come back? What are some alternatives for people so we're not all reliant on the same few companies to control and manipulate our communications, you can send me an email and just write add in the subject line, something like add me, at info at com. info at com. And I have a list of several hundred people I'm sending very occasional emails to, just to keep us all in the loop and maybe share ideas. There are some technical wizards working on this problem to figure out how to create technical systems where we're more independent from big tech and manipulation and censorship, and we can share and keep in touch. I'm also urging people to go to sherylaxon.com and subscribe. This is just for free. You'll get occasional emails with stories in your inbox that I don't think anybody can censor. So as I try to aggregate stories about this sort of thing and about censorship and what we can do, that's one way you can keep abreast of it. You can just Subscribe on the right sidebar of the CherylAxton.com website if you're using your computer or scroll down on the mobile site. You don't have to use a real name. I don't care. I don't use your information. Just put a name in there and put the email address where you want to get the newsletter or the stories delivered to your inbox. And bada bing, bada boom, you're done. You can unsubscribe at any time. I hope you enjoy today's podcast, and I hope you will leave a good review, share this with your friends, and check out my other podcast, The Cheryl Ackeson Podcast, at justthenews.com or wherever you like to listen. Don't forget to order Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. You can get that anywhere. Read the reviews on Amazon, and that might help convince you that this is information you or your friends need. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.